When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Manchester is Red podcast brought to you by the Manchester Evening News. Thank you very much for joining us for today's episode. As always, please do leave a like, subscribe if you haven't already. And a reminder, we are now on YouTube as well. Manchester is Red podcast. Just search us there for clips and full episodes and we'll bring you all the United insight between now and the end of the season. I'm Rich Fay, and I'm delighted to be joined today by Samuel Luckhurst and Tyrone Marshall. How are you both doing? Very well, thank you, Rich. Very well. Yes, good. Good, thanks, Rich. Good. Yeah, it's good to see that we've overcome our own selection issues. We've still got the big hitters out today, and you were both at Nottingham on Sunday. Uh, I mean, a comfortable win for United, Samuel, and a thoroughly deserved victory. What was your uh, What was your take on it? it? It was, I suppose, a continuation of recent performances, and that they. They played pretty well. They were dominant. They didn't score enough goals, but unlike the Sevilla game, they didn't throw it away. Uh, Forest were alive for far too long in the game, but the second goal, even though 2-0 is still a, a salvageable scoreline, if, if you're Forest, it, it really wasn't. Forest were dreadful and United made them look even worse than they are at the moment. Uh, it seemed like Steve Cooper had sta- stabilised Forest earlier in the season, maybe midway through it, but they really have regressed and they they are what they are. They're a mishmash of players, of individuals. And United, in the end, they, they should have won by a far, far greater margin. I mean, there was a cricket game going on at Trent Bridge across the road and United could easily have posted a score to rival um, Nottinghamshire's innings or, or Somerset's innings. But it's it's the same old story with them, with their finishing. Uh, Navas played pretty well, but there were a couple of sitters that United should have certainly finished and I suppose it was a posit again that the, the best finish by a United player came came from a defender in Dallow with, with that well-timed run and well-taken goal that, that eventually killed off the game but especially given the results on Saturday I mean United couldn't have asked for a better set of results at Villa Park and, and Tottenham and they capitalised on that it was another clean sheet as well I think that's three clean sheets in a row in the Premier League and although Forest weren't much of a threat it, it would have been reassuring for Ten Hag to see Lindelof come in and do very well who I thought I thought he was he was excellent he didn't get much hassle whatsoever Harry Maguire will want to you know not uh, not go through his first 20 minutes again but after that he he, he did okay and again you have to take into account how how dreadful the opposition were but from from back to front there are a lot of individual uh, performances that were worthy of note and I think what will particularly please Ten Hag is that although it's against teams that they should be uh, you know, treasuring the ball against and creating multiple opportunities against United are starting to show signs of mastering this controlling style that he that Ten Hag craves that that he has, has tried to implement into the team from, from pre-season and they've certainly taken their time adjusting to that that way of playing and there'll, there'll still be a few more bumps in the road but it's April's as good a time as any to, to start mastering it as I said and it, it sets them up very well for a pretty big week ahead as well Ty I suppose United won't get too much credit will they for that win but you know the narrative headed into the game was that United were without their top goal scorer without their two best defenders two very influential players in the way that they do go about these matches okay by the end, it didn't look like it was ever going to be a banana skin, but they do deserve credit, don't they? That they have made this habit of just grinding out these wins and winning quite comfortably against the teams that they should traditionally be beating, but they haven't always done so. Yeah, definitely. I, I think they do deserve credit for for that win yesterday. I mean, Forest are in, are in pretty four, poor form, three points in the last 10 games. They, they look to be sleepwalking towards relegation at the moment. But when Sabitzer pulled up with injury in the warm-up, that made it 10 first-team players unavailable for that game. Molassi had obviously gone down between Thursday and Sunday's game. Both centre-halves missing. Rashford missing. 
an impact sub in Garnacho missing. There was, you know, both left backs. There was there was a hell of a lot to deal with there. And I think if you took 10 first team players out of any Premier League team, if you took 10 first team players out of City squad, they would struggle. We've seen it with, with Liverpool to a degree that, that they will struggle when they have injuries. Um, if you took 10 players out of Arsenal's team, they'd be in a world of trouble. So to have 10 first team players unavailable and, and still win an away game in the Premier League 2-0, I think you, you deserve immense credit for really, no matter what the opposition was. And, and like we see, Forest were, were pretty poor after a, a decent-ish start. They, they blew themselves out really and, and didn't offer an awful lot. But I think the way they've coped with it, they, they deserved credit. And like we say, they are. we were actually looking at their away record pre-match and they, they have made a habit of of winning these away games against the teams they should be winning. Yeah, Samuel might know because he was the one looking at it, but I think they've won everyone from, is it 15 down or 14 down or something like the that? The bottom now. five, they've they've bottom beaten five. them all away from home now. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, they are, they are doing a, a job with those away games. And I think it's clear that they could do with a result against one of the, the top half teams away from home. The, the wins they've had against top half teams have, have not been convincing and have struggled in bigger games, but, you know, the days when they slip up are, are pretty rare these days and they're not throwing in any of these mad performances we saw regularly under Solskjaer and, and pretty much every week under Ranić. They are just getting the job done and, and you have to say it, it is impressive the way they're doing it and to do it with the amount of, um, you know, the amount of setbacks they'd had between Thursday and Sunday, I, I thought they did it They did it very well in the end and they, they definitely deserve credit for it. And I think we all thought, we all thought on Thursday night this was a banana skin. When you then lose Malassia and lose Sabitzer, you're thinking it's even more of a banana skin. There was very little off the bench to come on. Um, and in the end, what, what we thought was a banana skin has probably turned into the decisive weekend for for the top four with Newcastle and Tottenham losing and, and United winning with their backs to the wall. It's it's probably pretty much guaranteed their their top four status, really. So it's actually turned into a, a big weekend in terms of the manner of the win as well. Yeah, all the talk was about the the players that were missing, but Samuel has tied touch upon there. Eriksson comes into to midfield, and isn't it? Because if you look at United's midfield this season, they have never lost a game in which Casemiro, Eriksson, Fernandez have started together. Having them back gave them that creativity, gave them the control, the composure in midfield as well. Who were the standout players for you then? Was it a case of Eriksson, Fernandez, and the likes of Anthony who who really caught the eye? I thought Ericsson was was man of the match. It was it was pretty fascinating just watching a player who in the warm up was going through these educational passing drills with two uh, two teenagers in Zidane Iqbal and Mark Carrado, and then he gets a tap on the shoulder to say you might be playing because Sabitz has pulled out. He started warming up quite rigorously, and then it was pretty clear when Darren Fletcher spoke to him as he was approaching the tunnel that he was going to start. And I think the first the first thing he did with the ball, um, which would have been the first minute, he just played, it was a simple pass out to the right. I mean, it's a pass that I think most people could play, but it accelerated the attack and it's, it just opened up space for United and it led to, to Sancho's opportunity, which he, I mean, he cut up quite badly because I think the shot was going wide. But that, I mean, Ericsson started well, he finished it well. Uh, it was it was difficult to think of or, or recall a moment where he put a foot wrong. Uh, Forrest couldn't get near him, it didn't feel like. And sometimes injuries, they, they can work out for the better in that Sabitzer has been playing really well and he, d- he deserved to start yesterday. I don't think anybody would have taken umbrage with Ten Hag's uh, selections. But Ericsson, Casemiro, Fernandez is United's best midfield three. It's a midfield that that team has has, has been built around. Um, two of those players are Ten Hag signings. Fernandez is is pretty much his captain as well, and the, the record is, is is pretty staggering. I think it's one fifteen drawn two. Um, you think back to Arsenal away in in January, and of course United lost that because Casemiro was suspended. Ericsson wasn't available for for the Anfield game because because of injury, and I don't think Fred has started a Premier League game since that one either. And I wonder if his card has been marked because of how badly it went, which would be a little bit unfair given how bad everyone in in, in United shirt was that that day. But Ericsson is on a different level to uh, to Fred. He's a different player to Sabitzer. Um, 
there was a reason why going into the Newcastle game, there was a big dilemma for Ten Hag because it, there was there was no real obvious balance with the midfielders he had available to him. If Ericsson's available for that game, even though he's not a defensive-minded midfielder, he he starts because he keeps the ball. He provides the control. Uh, Sabitz is a different player, as is McTominay to Ericsson. So for United to have a player of that, of that ilk and it's not a player they've had for a long time you probably have to go back to latter day Paul Scholes where they they had someone who could create who could sorry um you know control games as well as he did I mean Michael Carrick had uh, the odd run after Scholes had retired for good but it, that, those games were few, few and far between yeah even still under Louis van Gaal and Jose Mourinho United's best spells of form best runs of form were with Carrick in midfield. And that just goes to show, even under two very different managers, uh, how important a player who just keeps the ball, who keeps things ticking over, is to a team, irrespective of of the style of play. And Fernandes got the Man of the Match award, and it's, it's difficult to dispute that because he was terrific as well. He was very creative. The, his current form is probably his best form in two years, I would think. He, he, he'd never hit these heights last season and... Even when he was tallying really impressive numbers under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, I don't think his performance level was quite as consistently high as it has been at the moment. Because although he's not scoring or assisting in um, every game, his his overall contribution from deep or high up is superb. And it was interesting again with him. You've got Ericsson parachuted into the team with what less than fifteen minutes notice to kick off. Uh, Fernandez's role has to change and they end the game as the two best players on the pitch. Uh, that just shows you they've got the right mentality. They're extremely good footballers. And Ten Hag said afterwards that Fernandez's role change wasn't wasn't that huge, uh, which was interesting given he goes from operating central midfield to operating um, near, near to the penalty area. But he's that good a footballer. He can alternate between those roles and it, it does make a big difference when Casemiro is in it as well. I mean, they, they did a lot of simple things yesterday, but they made them look so easy and it's very rare that you see players do that so consistently, getting the easy things right time and time again. And um, it's, you know, you, you do, you do imagine what United might be like next season with, a dependable goal scorer through the middle as well when you've got such good players providing that service because Casemiro is one of the best passers in the team as well. He can he can play a striker in and Fernandes and Eriksen are extremely creative players as we've seen. So as I said, I think in terms of individual performances in a game, it was probably one of the best from United this season. And as I said earlier, it's Forest. They are poor, but you've still got to have that consistency and that um that that quality to keep on creating chances, not be deflated by the missed chances or or a goalkeeper being in pretty good form as as Kayla Navas was, to keep on going and and eventually get the win. So, you, I mean, Ericsson's timing, the timing of his return is 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 very very handy for Ten Hag, given that Fernandez is suspended in Seville this week because Ericsson before yesterday he was an absolute certainty to start that game. We'll come on to this at the end of the podcast as well, Ty, about United will need to take their chances on Thursday night if and when they get them. But what did you make of the front three that started the game then on Sunday? Because, you know, there were some positives, there was some good movement. They did have that sort of mobility in the final third that Ted Hag quite clearly does does relish. But again, as Samuel said, there was an abundance of chances that, that were wasted. I mean, are you looking at the positives or are you still a little bit concerned about the way that United wasted opportunities against Forest? Yeah, I think there's a concern over the the, the taking of chances and, and the goals. I mean, I think they I was looking at their the sky stats at the end of the game and um, flashed up on our screen, and I was just finishing a piece on on Ericsson and looking at the touches that United had had, and it had expected goals in there of about three and a half, I think, which is a pretty big number, and they only scored twice, and and there was a lot of chances that that came and went again, and oh, Jaden Sancho doesn't score enough goals at the moment for a winger, Anthony doesn't really score enough for a winger. He's got 18-35, I think, which is okay. But at the top end of the Premier League in a front three, you, you, know, you probably want to be a one-in a one in three player. And that was only his second assist. So, you know, he's, he's not creating enough either. I actually thought Martial played really well again. Um, I've been impressed with him this week. I think his, his link-up play and his hold-up play has been, has been exceptional. Um, but he did miss a pretty big chance with his last touch of the game, a, a header where he... He could have scored. Um, 
his, his shot that led to Anthony's goal was actually a, a good effort and it was a really good save. And it, you know, it is worth bearing in mind that Kayla Navas did make some some exceptional saves in that game. I mean, his save from Fernandez to touch it onto the bar was phenomenal, given the speed with which that ball was was travelling. I think I've ever heard an impact of a ball on the crossbar quite like quite like that one in real time. It was incredible. But yeah, I think there's there is a concern there about the goals and where the goals come from and. That's you know that's the issue going forward. We've said the reliance on on Rashford this season. I guess they're just about coping without him at the moment. Um, but I think we all thought they should have scored more than two against Sevilla. They they probably should have scored more than two against Forest. If you're scoring two goals a game, you you should be winning most games. But you do look at that front three and and just wonder if there's enough goals there. Um, and like I say, Sancho, I didn't think he played particularly well yesterday. He, he didn't take his early chance very well at all when he'd actually taken his early chance against Sevilla really well, only to be flagged offside. So, yeah, I think I think there is still an issue there. Martial's goal-scoring record this season is OK. Um, if, if he could get a goal and get back on the score sheet, you'd probably have more confidence in him. But we also know at the moment that he's still not he's still not completing games. They're handling him very carefully with, with two games this week. You do wonder how they're they're going to handle him. If if Tenag wants him to start against Sevilla and against Brighton, does he just play him for seventy minutes, say in in both games? And if United are chasing a goal at that stage of either game, it's it's not going to be a great look to take Martial off and, and bring Vutvegost on. But that is probably the the situation they are in at the moment. And yeah, I think that going forward this week, if if Rashford is unavailable for both of these games, that is going to be a concern. Even if he is available, I think you're talking as a an impact substitute probably at best, certainly on Thursday night anyway. Thank you very much for joining us for part one of the Manchester is Red podcast. We'll be back after the break to take a look at United's defensive reshuffle at the weekend. Welcome back to the Manchester is Red podcast. So Samuel then heard about how United's attacking players didn't quite click. What did you make of the makeshift back for, of course, Diogo Dallo getting on the score sheet, but a lot of attention on the centre-back partnership. A bit of a ropey start, but other than that, they weren't troubled too much, were they? No, I think if you could have put those two centre-backs back into uh, into a game, and certainly against a Premier League opponent, then there are a few better to pick than, than Forrest. Uh, when Dallow did make the mistake, obviously Dallow's a full-back, but the, the best chance Forrest had was when he overhit his touch, and it's it's a shot that goes well over the crossbar, dreadful technique. Um, yeah, Forrest have got some mercurial players, but Brendan Johnson has possibly been their, their player of the season. Uh, I thought he was very underwhelming. I thought he might have had a bit of joy going up against Dallow where he had to switch uh, switch to the left side. He's got, obviously, experience of playing there, but Forrest just really didn't get a, a, a sniff um, going at the at United's full-backs. It was only that opportunity that came from an inadvertent uh, inverted Dallow assist. M- Maguire, I mean, you know, he, he was. It was shaping up where you're wondering, given Ten Hag's dubious calls in midweek, whether he'd, he'd take Maguire off, given he was, he was on a yellow card because uh, he had a pretty dreadful first twenty minutes and that needless foul, uh, which was in, inside inside Forest's half on the halfway line. He was protesting about a booking. He might have been a little bit unlucky to have been booked, but it was certainly a foul, and that just invited a. Some some pressure from Forrest all of a sudden. He got the crowd up. The crowd were heckling him. So he had a very, very tricky first 20 minutes. He played the ball out into touch. Uh, I, I thought when they were reviewing the handball, I thought it was going to be a penalty purely because of how the, the phraseology of the law is now and the length of time they took to look at it. It seemed like the referee was going to be sent to the monitor and I think if he had actually had a look at it at the monitor, he'd have he'd have given it. I mean, th- this is the, the crazy thing about VAR. He's he's in a position there where he's told, no, it's not a penalty whatsoever. But if somebody tells him it's a penalty, there's no way that he's going to decide, no, I'm not I'm not going to give that at all. Uh, I think if you're looking at it sensibly, it's not a penalty. But going off the way referees operate these days, and as I said, the, the phraseology of the handball law, which is ridiculous really and it seems to change every five minutes and nobody can quite make head or tail of it uh it, it probably is a penalty uh antonio's yesterday 
people might say he was unlucky to have that given against him, but I don't think anybody was surprised that it was. And Steve Cooper was was carping about uh, the, the, the Maguire handball after saying he would have got a second yellow card as well. I don't think he would have, even if the penalty had been given. Um, but once he, he he got a little bit of luck there, I suppose Maguire. After that, he was he was fine. There was there weren't any more concerns from him. But that was primarily because Forrest offered next to no threat. And and in the second half, certainly United were they were a lot more creative. They they probably created about three really great chances in the first half, and it was at least double that in the second half. So it, it felt like we weren't turning our heads left very often from where we were sat in the stand because Forrest did so little attacking. But Lindelof, I thought, was really good from from start to finish. Uh, he, there was the odd physical duel that he came out um, came out of that well. He has he has not played anywhere near enough uh, this this calendar year. It's it's been quite surprising that he's played so few games. Normally, he gets a decent quota of of matches in a season that ensures that he's he's happy at the end of it. Even if United intend to sign a a centre back in the summer, you're always pretty certain he's going to stay. That's not necessarily the case now, but with the injuries to Varane and Martinez, provided Lindelof stays fit, he should now break the 30, 30 game mark. When this time last week, you'd have doubted if he'd have if if he was going to do that. But there's there's a certain profile of forwards that he does struggle against, but and and that that may come in time, but. I don't really worry about Lindelof going into the games this week. Having watched Sevilla last week, uh, they, they are a they are a poor side, and it's it's. I mean, United should be absolutely gutted that it's two two uh, going out to to Spain for the second leg. Brighton are a brilliant side, but they don't play in and you know with a orthodox centre forward. I know Evan Ferguson might fill that void, but he's injured, and the way he operates as well, he likes to play quite withdrawn and Brighton all about you know playing a little bit deeper and, and build up and, and not targeting a, a target man um they've you know they have a very sophisticated way of playing and th- that may actually suit Lindelof because he is absolutely going to be needed on Sunday with with Maguire suspended so coming away from it United had another clean sheet that's three in a row uh, with a completely different centre-back partnership uh, I'm, I'm not too sure when or if Maguire and Lindelof have even started together in a, in a league game this season, you you probably, if they have done, you'd have been able to count it on on one hand. So to have come away with it with a clean sheet, as I said, that's, that has to be seen as a positive. And watching Lindelof, it's just a little bit mystifying that he hasn't he hasn't still been the third-choice centre-back. I mean, for some, somewhere along the line, Ten Hag's had a change of heart and Maguire's had, had more opportunities. And... There's, there's obviously this very flattering stat for Harry Maguire now, and that in the last eleven t- games that he started for United, they have have won all eleven of them. Uh, the the caveat being that only one of those teams is a, was was in the top half of the Premier League at the time, but they they all count, so it's uh, it's it's good going ahead of the the Sevilla tie in midweek. Yeah, the other point I think is that now half of those games are in cup competitions, uh, at least over half, of them yeah. just about as well. So there's always the mitigation, but. He can keep it if it makes him happy. Uh, so, so, Ty, bring bring us on to the centre back dilemma. Then I mean, both players have have voiced you know that they do want to be playing regular football. Of course, the nature of being a third choice centre back is that you can go months without playing meaningful matches, and then you can get thrown in like you are at this moment in time, where you know your time will come. You've just got to to wait for it. It does feel like one of them needs to leave at least this summer uh, to to move on for their own progression and it seems in his interest to at least keep one as well so they've got someone established in reserve who would that be though for you do you have sort of a preference of who you think United should sell who's got the better retail value as it were and who could be better suited to that that third person role I mean they're both captains at international level you know there's both well I know Harry Maguire is part of England's captaincy sort of quartet and you've got Lindelof captain in uh, Sweden they both have a right to be playing every week, but that just can't be offered at United long term. No, it can't. But there's there's also a, do you want to go and play for, um, I don't know, West Ham, for example, every week? Or do you want to play for Manchester United and have the chance to, to win medals and play 20 games a season, maybe? And certainly Maguire, as third choice, will, will reach 20 games this season pretty easily. It'll probably reach 20 starts, to be honest, by the end of the season. 
And obviously this season's been a little bit different with the with the amount of cup competitions and cup games United have played. But I think as a third choice centre back, you're always going to get a decent run of games at, at some point in the season, and especially with Varane's injury record, as, as much as it's improved this year, he he is still um, you know a, a little bit unreliable on that front. So I think the third choice centre back at United would always play, and there is obviously a, a cachet to to being at United and going to win trophies and, and being in that environment every day of, of pushing for, for success. Um, yeah, I think I think they're in an envious position at the moment, having the, the strength in depth they do. And I know both of those players, to a degree, uh, are criticised online, and, and Maguire especially, and he had a, a really shaky start yesterday. But I also think that as a third and fourth choice pairing, you know, they are they are very, very good, really, um, in terms of, of Premier League level. I think they're certainly top four level. Um, but I think it is unlikely both both stay. I, I've said it before, I think it's probably in everyone's best interest if, if Maguire looked to go and play regular football elsewhere. I think he would still be in demand in in the Premier League, certainly in, in mid-table, kind of from eighth down, say. I think there'd be a, a club who would want Maguire. Um, United would have to take a, a huge loss on the 80 million fee, of course. But I also think it's... Um, I think it would be easier for United in a way. I mean, I asked Ten Hag this on on Friday in the Sunday section of the press conference, and kind of gave the response I I, I respect I expected. But the you know the captaincy must be a dilemma in terms of Maguire and Fernandez, and and you know Ten Hag talked about we want more leaders, and and that's fair enough. But it's also the job of the captain to give the last words in the dressing room before you go out, and also on a a day to day, a week to week basis, to almost be a, a conduit between staff and. And players and United have essentially got two captains. They've got uh, a club captain and they've got a match day captain. And rarely, rarely the Twains shall meet. They're, they tend to be doing two different jobs. So, you know, I don't think it's a long term solution to to have that um, that situation going on any longer. So, I think it would probably make sense for for Maguire to to go this summer. But you'd, you'd probably want another centre half. And, and like you said, Rich, I don't think there's any scenario where they would consider selling both. So. It probably also depends on on how how hard either pushes to to move as well. So we'll look ahead slightly to next season. Then you've written a line here on Monday on Manchester City News website. If, if listeners want to go check it out, that Ahmad scored again for Sunderland at the weekend could be included. Ten Hag's open to including him in the first team plans next season. It's always exciting to see a United loanee shine uh, when they're out on loan, particularly like you said. With him being in the Championship, you know, a, a league that the step up is is obvious in quality to the Premier League, but he's well acquainted to to British football, as it were. That's why they wanted to send him to Rangers as well last season. What have you made of Ahmad this season from what you've seen, and what chance do you think he's got at United next season? He looks very different to the handful of games he had for United and, and in pre-season. In the Ten Hag used him through the middle, and I think he came on as a substitute in three games in pre-season. He scored against Bayekano, but he was he was always identified as as a right winger and that's where he's been playing for Sunderland. And he's he's probably quicker than Anthony, who who was who was excellent at Forest. He had his he had his best game for United and from a personal perspective it was it was quite it was quite uh, nice hearing Ten Hag say that he he was a little bit like Robin having, you know, tentatively made that comparison back in January. But whether he Goes on to match Iron Robin, I think remains to be seen. He was he was phenomenal. I think that that might be a stretch, but where Ahmad has got that speed and he's also got a pretty good goal scoring record this season in a very very competitive league. He he is preparing for for the Premier League in in quite an auspicious way. I don't necessarily see him as someone who's going to be ousting and Anthony anytime soon. I mean the investment in Anthony is hundred million euros and he's a manager sorry, he's a player that Ten Hag managed at Ajax as well. But there is certainly going to be the possibility of, of a vacancy for the backup right winger, if you like, or or someone to compete with Anthony because uh, for Kundo Palestri provisionally, the plan is for him to go out on loan next season, ideally to a Premier League club the way the financial regulations are now and with United fully preparing for more far more outgoings than incomings in the summer they have to keep an open mind with a hell of a lot of players really just on the off chance they get a good offer I mean this time last year I don't think any of us would have expected James Garner to be one of two players sold by United in the summer 
but because Ten Hag took a look at him, because he decided that there wasn't going to be a role for him, and because he was one of the handful of players who had resale value in that summer, you know, it, the decision was made. Well, we might as well sell him if, and, and get the money in now, which is exactly what they did. And there'll be a few players like that at the moment who the the future looks looks quite bright for them at United, but in an instant, if Ten Hag doesn't think he, he is, is of the view that they they're not going to really get a fulfilling, um, not not have sorry not have a fulfilling role in the squad next season, then what's the point keeping them about? What is the point just loaning them out for another year? If there's going to be a take of them, then they can take them provided the fee is acceptable. That was the case with Ghana last year, and. That's always, you know, the, the thing that United have to be mindful of with with certain players of, of Ahmad's profile. But Ilanga is a player who I would be surprised if he's in the United squad next season. It wouldn't surprise me if he's not United at all next next season. I think the, the way things are shaping up there it could be a loan, it could be a sale. Um, Jane Sancho. Ten Hag is is becoming quite an impa- impatient with from from his perspective. Rashford and and Garnacho uh, are the main left wingers. Sancho is only starting there at the moment because those two are injured. Um, the Mason Greenwood situation, United are yet to come to a decision on that, so th- there's no really real point um, speculating what what could happen with him. So when you look at what they want to do with their attack next. Uh, in the summer in, in signing a striker, um, looking to get Marshall off the books as well, because if a striker comes in, Marshall isn't going to be first choice. If Marshall's not going to be first choice with his contract situation, you, you have to sell. That is also the plan for United and quite handily for them at the moment. He's he's an asset for the team and he's also an asset whose value is starting to creep upwards again. Um but there are a lot. There are so many nuances to these things. Things can change in an instant. I mean, for example, with Lindelof and Maguire, they are two players who are actively looking at the po- the possibility of leaving in the summer. Now they could be playing every game between now and the end of the season. They could be playing into cup finals. If if it gets to that, are they are they going to still want to go? Having played thirty odd games, nearly forty games, somehow. Uh, and you know, and and the United career on a high, or are they going to want to stick about, uh, stick around next season? So that's how quickly things can change. But Ahmad is always a player that United have hoped would at least live up to his potential because one, they made such a huge investment in signing him up to thirty-seven million pounds, and also they've not really got that reputation um, of seeing a young player bring him into the club and him coming really good. They've done it through their academy, of course, but they've not done it particularly through recruitment. Uh, they have got a good eye for it. I mean, they, they spotted boys as Caicedo and they were looking to sign him, decided against it, and they they really did drop the ball there because he's now a £70 million, £80 million midfielder and, and one of the best midfielders in the Premier League. So the, the, what I was told back in, I think it was in November time, was that they will always felt that if Ahmad could go on a run of 10 games and have that consistency of you know allowing him to learn his trade adapt to his surroundings adapt to the pace of of um, the british game which was not a chance he had at rangers where giovanni van Bronckhorst was pretty swift in um, hooking him in, in the old firm derby last year at, at half time but where he did get that opportunity at sunderland he has he has caught fire and he's i think he's got 12 goals and three assists but when you watch him his his contributions to some of the goals they're getting without him scoring or without him technically getting the assist, it's still enormous because he's, you know, a little bit like Robin, a little bit like Anthony yesterday with the second goal. He brings players out of position. He, he he lures players towards him because he's so quick, because he can go past one player, so another player has to engage him. So he's freeing up space uh, for teammates and it's, it's ending up in a goal. I think there was a goal Sunderland scored uh, against Hull that was a little bit like that where he drew the players out of position the ball was worked from right to left and and they scored so I think he's got the attributes to have you know certainly he'd be worth having a having a look at in the Premier League next season but although he might play in the Premier League next season I still wouldn't be surprised if it's a another club and, and not United but there are there are there are probably too many question marks over too many United players in the attack 
for, for Ten Hag's liking. And I don't see a scenario at the end of the summer transfer window where he will look at that attack and say, that is perfect. An awful lot would have to go right for him to be in a position where they literally get rid of all the players who he doesn't fancy and they get all the players in that he does fancy. Yeah, it's a lot easier to do it on video games, isn't it, than it is in real life, as we saw <laughs> in summer. And United fans might need to uh, ease their expectations ahead of the summer. Thank you very much for joining us for part two of the Manchester Red Podcast. We'll be back after the short break to look ahead to that match against Sevilla in midweek. So, welcome back to the Manchester is Red Podcast time. It is severe second leg on Thursday evening, of course. Uh, sort of pre-match team news, which we'll get on Wednesday at 10 hours. The press conference could largely dictate the United side that we see. But looking ahead at this early stage to the game, do you think United will be confident even with these injuries and the suspension of Bruno Fernandes that they showed enough last week to actually beat Sevilla, but they somehow just didn't do it on the night? Yes, to a degree, but that was also their best chance to to beat Sevilla, um, given that they they had Fernandez in that game, they had Martinez, they had Varane, they had home advantage, and they had a Sevilla team that were on the ropes a little bit. I mean, you, you look at Sevilla now, and you, it does feel like you could you could be playing a different animal in the space of seven days. They've they've got home advantage. The atmosphere can be be pretty fiery at, at that stadium. Um, they're also starting to pick up some some decent form. They won away at Valencia last night, I think it was. Um, I think they're four or, four or five unbeaten now. Eased those relegation fears, so it you know it does feel like with with what happened to them, scoring twice late on at Old Trafford to then go away and, and win away at Valencia, who I know aren't you know they're they're a name, but they're not they're not a particularly good side these days. But still, winning away at Valencia for a team like Sevilla is is going to be confidence boosting. So. I think it's going to be a, a much tougher test for United than it was last Thursday. Um, should they still be confident? Absolutely. I mean, I think we've seen this year that La Liga is is not a good league. Um, I mean, United have, have beaten the champions elect over two legs, and for three of the four halves in that game, they were they were comfortably better than Barcelona. I thought um, they've beaten all the other La Liga teams they've played, some of them comfortably. And I don't see any reason why they can't do the same with Sevilla, but it is certainly going to be a test. And like you alluded to, the the, the biggest issue is going to be selection. Who is available? Who can you risk? Um, you know, there's an issue there with with replacing Fernandez. Obviously, there's going to be a dilemma at left back. I think depending on on who is fit and whether you can risk Shaw, given he's going to have to play centre half in the FA Cup semi final. Um, so yeah, I think it's. It's certainly going to be a, a difficult game for them, a lot more difficult than it than it should be. But I think you would still just about make United favourites. But it's it's not far off the the flip of a coin now. This tie and it, frankly, it should just it should never have been in this position, should it? No, of course. And I suppose that if no. they get through, then they can say they got away with it, didn't they? In that that late collapse in, mm. in the first leg, but they've actually got to to go and do it now. Uh, Midfield has got to be the maybe the most interesting one, isn't it, Simon? Because Fernandez will be missing. Obviously, there's got to be this late it's a bit of sort of fitness test, and might even be one uh, an update out on him by the time you listen to this podcast. But at the time of recording, which is nearly two p.m. on the Monday, what midfield for United should play? Do you think that they are in a position to risk playing Sabitzer from the start? Like you said, Ericsson, you'd like to start, but he's only been eased in. He wasn't planned to be starting against Forest. Is there a Maybe a element of caution required of him, or do you think United do just need to play their strongest side from the start? Well, is it is it a groin strain for Sabitza? Did someone from one of the radio um, programs, I think, uh, the game said yesterday? And, and if it is that, you would instinctively feel as though that's that's him out of a game four days later. Whether it's a a pull or a tear, it seems it seems too early probably to put him back in the side. He, Fred has had certainly in recent weeks he's had more merit, um, or, or United have had more joy with him starting in European games than than in uh, domestic matches. As I said earlier, he, I don't think he started in the Premier League since the, the thrashing at Liverpool. He did start against Betis away, and of course he started both games against Barcelona and 
he had a pretty torrid first 50 minutes in camp now but then after that he was excellent got the played the ball through for for Rashford's equaliser and in the second leg he was he was terrific uh, what did Ten Hag said he was the mosquito uh, around Frankie De Jong and uh, you know, th- that that really did pay off even though De Jong actually played quite well for Barcelona that evening Fred was also excellent but I think he would probably have to have a different role against Sevilla and it would probably be as the number 10 because Ericsson is so good and his partnership with Casemiro they, they, they match each other so well that you wouldn't really want to jeopardise that and even though it means playing Fred in a position where let's face it he's not he's not a number 10 but he is better as a more advanced midfielder as Ten Hag has discovered with Subitzer and is also probably the case with McTominay but I think I've always said for United's benefit, they will always have attacking midfielders who are better than Scott McTominay. So you might as well make the most of his occasional positional discipline and his steeliness as a more uh, deep lying midfielder. So I, I think if, if Fred starts, he probably takes on Fernandes' role, given that he's suspended. I don't think they should be rushing Rashford back into the starting lineup. If he's fit enough to make the bench, that's that's fine. But given that there's the cup semi-final on Sunday, I think if there's a game to start him in this week, it has to be that one because it is the harder game. And I know that Ten Hag is not looking at these two games or looking at it through that uh, cliched prism of, oh, we take each game as it comes. He pretty much said on Friday that he's going to have to consider selections beyond the Sevilla game and after the Brighton game, they've got a pretty big game at Tottenham as well, uh, which although it's not shaping up to have the significance that it could have because Spurs are Spurs, it's still a big game for United and there's no point. I, I don't think Sevilla, as, you know, as, as impressive as their pedigree is in the Europa League and their propensity for surprising everyone and, and winning it or advancing to, to the latter stages of the competition, I don't think they are anywhere near good enough that you should be rushing your top goal scorer back into the team. And I know that sounds like almost paradoxical because United are a team that struggle to score goals, but they've they've got to trust themselves to get the goals without Rashford because Sevilla are a bad side. They're not a good side remotely. They 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 look like what they are last week, which is a bottom half La Liga side. And La Liga is not a particularly good league anymore. And I know that's you know there's possible hubris there for United maybe being too arrogant about it, but I also think it's the right way to to go about it because Brighton are a better team. Rashford will be needed more against Brighton than against Sevilla, and if you've got him as an option off the bench, he is he is a player to bring on. He's a potential game changer, and he would unnerve Sevilla as well. They would. You can see a scenario playing out where they're on easy streak coming up against Jaden Sancho, who's you know slowing the pace of the game down, not doing very much. And then he comes off after 50-odd minutes or 60-odd minutes, and it's Rashford who comes on, and it's completely different. So, I, I, as, as Ty said, I think you could you can make a case either way for, for either Sevilla or United being favourites because of, because of the circumstances going into the game. But there has to come a point where United do take their chances in a game and it, it really does truly matter. And it does make people sit upright and think, oh, maybe they have turned a corner here with their finishing. And the severe game would be the perfect one for that, just because of the players who are out, the players who might still be out as well. And a front three of Marshall, Anthony and Sancho, it's it's not the most it's not the most consistent of front threes, but there is potential there and there may be a side sooner or later that United come up against and they do, you know, they, they their chance conversion rate is actually uh, higher than it normally is. Yeah, like you said, though, that is the the weird thing about isn't it? If there's a game where they all click and all play well, then you could see United scoring a hat full of goals, really. You know, it only takes one game and that can really change the whole yeah. narrative. Uh, Ty, it is interesting because obviously United's, like you said, basically, you do feel like they've got top four football sewn up now because for Tottenham and Newcastle both to take advantage and be that consistent between now and the end of the season just seems highly improbable. Ooh. And for United to implode with, with, with all these injuries seems very unlikely, even if there is a natural drop-off. Severe away on Sunday, Brighton in the FA Cup semi final of the weekend. And it's Tottenham away, Villa at home, and then Brighton away again. It is a real tough five fixtures on the horizon there. And then I suppose... 
that in five games' time, we should have a much clearer idea about how United's season is going to look between now and the end of the campaign. Like we said, I think we're all in agreement that top four football should be guaranteed. But right now, we're recording this on the Monday before the second leg. Do you think United will win another trophy this season? Do you think they could win two? Or do you think they won't win any at all? Um, I'll, I'll, I'll take the middle one. One. Um, I think they should win the Europa League. Um, I think that's that's the one you'd be looking at. I know Juventus could be tricky, but you know they only beat Sporting one 0 at home. They lost away at Sassuolo, I think, yesterday. They're obviously having a difficult season. They've not got a great squad. And um, you know, there's potential argument that United's biggest impediment to winning the Europa League is actually the game on Thursday night, and the the situation they've they find themselves in might make it more difficult. Um, the FA Cup, you know, like somebody said, I think Brighton will provide a tougher test than, than Sevilla. I think um, tactically Brighton could cause United a, a lot of problems. Um, the way they play, the way they can overload midfield when when United often man mark in midfield, and also that that complexity of not really playing with a striker when you've got someone like Luke Shaw playing at centre-half who doesn't normally play there. It's going to present him with a real difficult, uncertain challenge. So I I, I do think that Brighton is going to be a really, really difficult game on Sunday, especially given United have got such an intense test on Thursday and Brighton have basically got a week to prepare for it. Um, and even if United do get past it, they're going to play Man City in the final and you know, City just look exceptional at the moment. They look as good as they've been all season. And we're saying on the journey home with Samuel yesterday, there's there's going to be a certain irony to City winning the treble this season when no one has actually spoken about it until, you know, early April. It's, it's normally start of February. We start talking about City winning tw- quadruples and trebles and things like that. It's barely been given uh, a thought these days. It, there's been more talk of United winning a treble than, than City. And yet suddenly it's looking... It's looking ominous, shall we say, um, for for City winning the lot. So, um, so yeah, I think the FA, I think the Europa League is is still more likely than the FA Cup. So, I'll I'll go with one more. I'll go with Europa League. Samuel, do you agree that consensus? I mean, as we said, I mean, you have to take a step back to degree and say top four football, and they've won a trophy this season. It already is a success on what most of us set out their their targets to be, but it would feel. Maybe a slight miss opportunity if they didn't win another piece of silverware. Now they're in a good position, even with the injuries. Yeah, I, I, I mean, Varane and Martinez are big losses. Uh, there's been a lot of attention on Martinez being out for the rest of the season, but I mean, Varane really did underpin United's uh, recovery uh, with with his recall against Liverpool back in August. He he's been quietly immense for United this season. I think there's been so such attention on Martinez, who's been tremendous, that Varane has gone a little bit under the radar. And maybe that's because his his brilliance is just taken for granted and it probably suits him as well that Martinez takes quite a lot of the attention away from him and, and he's the cult hero. Uh but I, I certainly agree with Tyne that it's you know, when you've you can see it mapped out now with in European competitions because the the semi-final draws have also been pretty they're also made United know who they would get if they do get past Sevilla and there's no doubt that United of the eight teams remaining in the Europa League they are the strongest team uh, they've they've probably got the best team as well so by rights you know that they're favourites and therefore it would be a disappointment for them if they don't win it. But it just it doesn't work out that way. And with the with the FA Cup semi final against Brighton, I, I think Brighton are probably the toughest team United have got to face in their Premier League run in, never mind in a one off uh, game at Wembley. And unless Sheffield United pull off the mother of all shocks, they are it's it's gonna be an all Manchester final. Uh, but I could. It really wouldn't surprise me if United, you know, if they do get to a final and it's it's against City, they've they've got that big game now, so they've shown already this season, albeit only at Old Trafford, they've not quite dis- they've, well, they've not at all displayed it in, in some of the away games. They conceded seven at Anfield and, and six at the Etihad. But you could see a scenario where Ten Hag would have them properly, really well prepared for a big game and United can get through it. Uh, I mean, they certainly did in the League Cup final. I know Newcastle were were naive at times that day and and City are a completely different kettle of fish. But there is certainly... United have players in that squad who can see them through games if if not everybody's quite, quite on song. 
but I, it's, it's, it is too much of a, it feels like it, because of the injuries, it, it feels like such an enormous ask for them to, to win both trophies. And if you go back six years to when they were going for the Europa League, again, they, they had a major injury crisis then. That was the time that Matty Willock was getting on the bench. It was the time when Scott McTominay was getting on the bench. And in the Europa League final, you had that crutch crew of Ibrahimovic, uh, Shaw, Rojo and Ashley Young and, and Eric Bailly suspended as well. They had a lot of players to contend with uh, who, who were unavailable. And in the end, Mourinho just decided, you know what, there's there's no point going for Premier League top four. We might as well get into the Champions League through winning the Europa League. And they did toss it off in the Premier League. They lost at Arsenal and Tottenham with shadow sides. They drew at Southampton uh, with, with pretty much a shadow side as well. And that, that final game of the season against Palace, it was it was the Josh the Josh Harrop game, the, the Dimitri Mitchell game. It was to, to, for all intents and purposes, it was pretty meaningless for for Mourinho because it was all about winning the Europa League. That was that their season as a success or a failure hinged on that game, and in the end, it was very comfortable for them. It's a different scenario this time because I think they're going to finish in the top four with with relative ease because of the disarray at Tottenham. But um, to to win two trophies, it, when, I mean they're going they're, they're competing in three competitions, but to win two of those trophies now when they've got an 11 of injured players, if we're to include the irrelevance that is Phil Jones, it's it just seems like too tall an order. And and some of those players, mainly Martinez, they're out for the season and he is a huge loss, whether it's Maguire coming in alongside Varane or, or Lindelof coming in alongside him when, when Varane's back, whenever that may be. Of course, United did beat City with Martinez on the bench, 2-1. It was Shaw and Varane that day, wasn't it? So... You never yeah. know, one-off game in the FA Cup final, but I'm getting the messages. City are more likely to win a treble than United uh, by the end of the season. Uh, Samuel, Ty, thank you very much for joining us today on the Manchester is Red podcast. Thank you, Rich. Thanks, Rich. And thank you once again, wherever you are in the world listening to us. As always, please do leave a like, subscribe if you haven't already. Again, another shout out that we are on YouTube now as well. Just search the Manchester is Red podcast for short clips and full episodes there as well. Take care. We'll see you again later in the week. Yes, yeah, see you on the other side.